so it's confession time. I've been warned in my uh, preaching classes that the pulpit is not meant to be a confessional, but I'm going to ignore those things. Uh, one of the things that I wish was true of me, I wish that I was actually less fearful. I'm not talking about like scared of dogs or uh, scared of thunderstorms. I, I wish that I was less fearful. Sometimes I feel what uh, the Apostle John meant when he said that perfect love casts out what? Fear. He said that perfect love casts out fear. And I go, yeah. There, there's times where I, I've known and trusted God's love for me. I've been in, in a great uh, relational place in my life. And that kind of perfect love has cast out fear because I felt safe. I felt secure. I, I've known my place. I felt like the foundation is really solid, really set. And it's like, yeah. Uh, and I, I needn't be afraid, though. But the reality is, I often find myself afraid. And some of you guys are going, dude, it's time to man up, pull up your pants, and take it. But the reality is, many of you, whether you recognize it, whether you see it, or you have enough emotional intelligence, is that all of us are fearful. We're all fearful. And the beauty is that God invites me to live increasingly free of fear. And sometimes the reality is I do take him up on that invitation. Man, I want to be free, increasingly free from fear, but not always and not as often as I might like. Fear and anxiety, the reality is that fear and anxiety are such a drain of energy. They seem to just kind of suck the life out of you. If you listen to their threats, to their warnings, their dire predictions, oh, this is going to be terrible, or oh, they're not going to love you, or you're not going to be accepted, or this, this. It, after a while, you find yourself just drained. I could instead, however, listen to the voice of the one who is constantly saying, Paul, don't be afraid. You're not alone in this. I am with you. The thing is, the fears and the anxieties rise up, that rise up in me are often wrong. They're liars. They're liars. I mean, there, there surely are things that frighten me, but I, I'm talking about the fears that bubble up in my thoughts and the emotion, those imagined dark possibilities of my future, what if, all those what ifs. Man, there, there are times, there are times, and I've e I even had it this week with this very sermon where I, I imagine totally bombing this sermon, just bombing it, because it's, it's a, a less familiar, kind of a peculiar kind of psalm, and I'm going, man, I am going to bomb this baby. But surprisingly, by God's grace, I have I can dare say that I have never bombed a sermon. God has always been with me. But if I speak from my life and what I've learned from God along the way, it always seems to come along. If I constantly am pointing myself and point others towards Christ, God has been faithful. 
And I'd say in my experience as, as being a pastor, talking with many others, I find out that fear may just be one of the hardest issues for many of us in our journey towards transformation. We're scared of the what-ifs, the unknowns, and there's this... Paul, how do I lead my family? How do I have this conversation? How do I be faithful? I don't know if I can do that. And it's constantly coming from this place of fear. We struggle with, I don't know if my friends are going to be accepting of me. What if I stand up for my faith? What if? And those fears just kept lying and sucking me dry. And perhaps that's why it seems to be one of the most common themes in the biblical narrative. Hundreds of times, you hear the God saying, do not be afraid. Fear not is, is a word that God speaks us in the, in the face of, of hardship, of threats, of danger. And the most common promise that God offers us in our places of fear is that I will be with you. And the Psalms that we are covering this summer are, are dealing with the, the questions of what do I do when? What do I do when I'm hopeless? Last week we talked about hope in God. It's that remember, this is what you do. What do I do in times of trouble? And this week we're going to look at Psalm 49, which is not a better known psalm. And I'd be surprised if some of you have really poured a lot of time into it. Many of you are going, oh, if he would preach on on Psalm 23 or Psalm 1 or Psalm 100 or Psalm 150, I've got that baby nailed. But Psalm 49 is not better known. It, it deals with death, injustice, fear, and other uncomfortable issues. So before we read this psalm, I, I kind of want to give you a little bit of background. So as you're listening to it, you go, ah, I'm picking up some themes. First of all, this is what is considered to be a wisdom psalm. Like many other types of psalms in the Psalter, this one is a little bit different. There's different categories. This is not unlike the book of Proverbs or the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a, it's a wisdom psalm. It, it is set up to deal with the tough issues and the tough questions of life, and it gives us some wise direction for how do we live in this world. We're going to also see in this, and you'll, you'll be able to see this, that this, we are going to be pursuing the theme that is found in verses 5 and 16, centered on the reality of fear. The psalmist kind of presents aspects of life that cause to allow the fear to kind of bubble up and some real-time ways to deal with fear. It's not a really nice linear a, B, C, D. It's got a lot of kind of circling back, back and forth, but you'll be able to pick it up. But there, there's many sources of fear today, and there's, this is just, the psalmist is dealing with fear in his time. We all fear a lack of money. We lack, we fear health failure. Relationship problems, getting old, lack of education or knowledge, never getting married, never getting out of a bad marriage, aliens, terrorists, you name it. We all got fears, and some of them are just plain old irrational fears, like aliens. Do not be afraid of aliens. You got that, Breck? 
Don't be afraid of aliens. But the theme of the fall has been a constant reality. Fear. I also want to point out what I believe is an inspired piece of this, and that is the heading that is actually there that we often do not read when we read from the Psalms because it's like, uh, it's like a chapter heading, move, move quite along, right along. Many scholars think that these headings are part of the original collection. And this Psalm 49 is addressed to the choir master. That's like saying it's addressed to the, the, the Zach Tibstra of Israel. And it was addressed to the sons of Korah. So whenever I see the name Korah in the Bible, it brings me back to Numbers chapter 16. And some of you are going, yeah, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Probably not. But Numbers 16, if you remember the text, Korah and some of his associates, some of the priests of that day, were really skeptical of Moses and Aaron in their leadership position. They've already come out of the land of Egypt. God had passed, you know, opened up the Red Sea. They passed through to the other side. And now, after seeing all of that, Korah and some of his associates are going, I don't know. I don't know. If, if he, are these guys really the guy? And the story is intriguing. The, the details are kind of scary. But in the end, there's ultimately a showdown between God and Korah's people. You can kind of hear the whistle, right? One of those kind of moments. And to show the era of Korah, notice, I want you to, this is maybe good devotional reading from Numbers chapter 16. And as soon as he had finished speaking these words, what happened? The ground under them split apart, and the earth opened up, and its mouth swallowed them up. And with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all of their goods, so they and all who belonged to them went down to live into alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them and they perish from the midst of the assembly. This is kind of one of those Harrison Ford kind of moments, right? Where the ground opens up, guys are sucked in, and what happens? It shuts back over. And the text sounds like all of the line of Korah were destroyed, but the reality is that we see mercy and we see grace in here later on in Numbers chapter 26, where it's explained that the sons of Korah did not die. God, in his mercy, he saved them. And so you would think that their name would be marked by their ancestor and that they knew something of the causes of fear and what to do with their fear. So with all that background, we are going to read from Psalm 49. Would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word? When we get to the end, I will say this is the word, Lord, and you will respond with thanks be to God. Hear God's word. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together, my mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. 
I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches? Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. That he, who, he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die, the fools and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they call lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boasts. Like sheep, they are appointed to Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol for he will receive me. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry away nothing. His glory will not go down after him. For, for though, while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praise, when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So in reviewing this psalm, I'm going to divide it into three, three sections. And here's the first section. And the, these sections will help a person in the time of fear. The first one is this. We overcome fear by listening to God's word. The first four verses of this psalm sound a bit like the book of Proverbs, like I said. Wisdom literature in the ancient world was more commonplace back then than it is today. I, I would not say that there is much wisdom literature out there today. You, you pick up any book today and you go, really, this is garbage. That, you call that wisdom? I call that fleeting or fleshly or stupid. But wisdom literature back then was, was important. It was no kind of uh, fortune cookie kind of thing. Wisdom literature presented truths of wisdom to the relator, to reader, to relate to their life situations. And these four verses encourage the reader or the singer, because this is a song that Israel would sing together, they encourage them to listen to what follows. Listen to what I am saying. The verse 1 begins with the word what? Did you pick that up? Here. Here. And it is, in, is a form of Shema in Hebrew. And some of you are going, no, nah, it means nothing to me. The word Shema begins one of the most important clauses in all of Judaism. From Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. 
the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. That, that was the basis for the Jewish faith. It was not a statement of what they think of life or of the world, but it is a statement of what God thinks. And we're we are to begin our journey of life by listening. Listening. God gave us two ears and one mouth. Some of us need to learn that. Listen. The psalmist calls the people to hear. And it was not just for the people of Israel, but it, it was for all the people of the world. Verse 2 says that it's not just for the high, the rich, the wealthy, but for all the people. And what will follow will be words of wisdom and words of understanding from the source of wisdom himself, God. The action needed is to, for us to actually incline, to turn ourselves, physically move, so that we can actually hear what God has to say. Some of us need to understand, maybe my position in life is not allowing me to actually hear. I have my place in a situation where I can't hear God, I'm choosing to be out of reach of God's word. And this psalmist is saying, incline, move in such a way that you can hear wisdom speaking. When we find ourselves with the temptation to fear, our first step should not be to talk, to, to gab. Our first inclination should be listening. Listening. That doesn't mean that there aren't times where you tell others what you're feeling or what you're struggling with. Because I'll tell you, having been through the counseling world, been in counseling, it is important to actually use words to communicate. But the psalmist describes a person who is talking about fear. But the biblical admonition, the biblical encouragement, the biblical command in this text is to actually not talk, but to Listen, let God speak, be in his word, and you'll be surprised how the spirit of listening will help us deal with our real fear issues. Listen to God. But it leads us to this, the first one was overcome fear by listening to God's word. We can also, here's the second one, overcome fear by exposing the facade of fear. I grew up in uh, a little town called Pella, Iowa. And in Pella, Iowa, it kind of had this theme, if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. It's stupid, stupid saying, stupid saying, but we, we kind of had a huge pride about our Dutchness. And such, they, they also expected the community, any new business that would come in, any old business that would come in, you had to have a Dutch storefront, a facade. Walmart has a Dutch storefront in Pella. Culver's has a Dutch storefront in Pella, Iowa. Nowhere else. But there's the facade the front looks like this, but everything behind is Culver's. <laughs> everything else. 
And this psalm now kind of gets into the meat of the discussion. Verse 5 asks the question of, in the psalm, why should I fear in times of trouble? And the question goes on, but the implication is that if you want to know why he should fear, he will tell you. And there's plenty of reasons to fear in his day, just as there are reasons to fear today. And he expresses some of those reasons for fear. He does so in a method consistent with the style of the psalm. He, he, he writes using the rich people as a, as a non-literal kind of thing. They, they represent or they personify. They, they're like this facade of those who handle fear in a way that the world handles fear. The way that the idea that money can solve our problems is a belief that goes back to the very beginning of human existence. The psalmist sees the solutions that the rich have to life and senses that the rich are, are against him and these rich people are cheating me. In reality, the solutions that appear to be experienced by the rich but not the poor are not the real solutions at all. They, they think that we must, we can solve most, if not all the problems that we have because of the resources that we have or do not have. How many of you struggle with that? The fear of not having enough. Yeah, yeah. Those of you who haven't raised your hand, you're probably lying a little bit. You're thinking about retirement. You're thinking about your kid's college. You're thinking about how am I going to pay that electric bill? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? And we, we, we have this, if I would just have more, more money, it is going to solve it. We fear the personification of these answers to all that could just cause even more fear. And So let, let's look at the picture and see some of the solutions to fear that the rich seem to have. They seem to have this solution, abundant riches, abundant riches can give confidence and it can remove fear. If I just have more riches, I'm going to be less fearful. The psalmist sees people who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches. I know even in my life, conversations that Laura and I have, man, there is... We fear that we will not have enough money. I remember having conversations with an older gentleman about his retirement years. Am I going to have enough to, to get to the end? And in verses 7 through 9, they, they give the story of riches that, might not, that may not be evident in our current life. Verse 7 says that no man can give God anything for his life. In fact, it's not your life isn't even for sale. Even the wealthiest will die. And there's, there's not a ransom price that you can pay to extend your life. You can, you can be having three, four, five, ten million dollars in your 401k so that when you retire, you can walk off into the sunset, but you can die the day after you retire. And none of that money is going to extend your life. Muhammad Ali, 
was probably one of the most recognized athletes in the 60s and the 70s. He had fame, this guy had fortune, but was also found to have Parkinson's. He seemed invincible in the ring and he had huge sums of money, but he was slowly killed by a brutal disease that was no respecter of persons. The rich can legitimately be afraid that money will not give them anything more. But we can also see another solution that they have is that being really smart and having a really good education can remove fear. Being really smart and having great education. Thank God for Lincoln White School Districts. I mean, you got, you got some great education. We do great in the state besides some of our financial fraud that we've seen in the past. Kind of comes back to some of our issues, right? But here, your, your education should not be the thing that gives you comfort. It shouldn't be the thing that takes away fear. This verse, the next verse in, in verse 10, briefly says that both the wise and the not so wise can fear death. Being smart and educated does not free you from fear. When you are dead, which we will all be, all their wisdom will not be able to shield them from fear. It is all temporary. Even think about Steve Jobs. This guy was brilliant. I remember, I, I remember growing up and going to elementary school where there, there were the Apple IIEs. You know, and all we could do is look at a, a green screen and just move the little turtle all around, and we had to kind of code it. And, and you look at his brilliant, he was a mastermind behind Apple products. And he was a relatively young man who was both brilliant and rich, but he could not beat death. It got him. And all of his, his intelligence could not avoid it. Knowledge itself, in itself, cannot stop fear. But there, there's another one, another solution it looks like the rich have. Having possessions and security can remove fear, right? And verse 11 says, man, a permanent home of the rich. Where, where is that permanent home? This thing that they built? This really nice place? You should see the floor plans? I'm sure they felt safe and secure there. Ultimately, where is that, that permanent home found? In the grave. You may start, a, start up from a, a starter home, but your ending home is all the same for us. The grave. Welcome to Missio Day Church, by the way. But that, it's true, isn't it? Regardless of how much you get, you will still end up in the grave. And if you think that having a home will cause you to not fear, you're wrong. You're wrong. Uh, here's another thing, uh, an another solution to fear. Fame and glamour will remove fear. This phrase in verse 12 is repeated with an, uh, with an addition at the end of the psalm. The word pomp in the ESV is translated as honor. It appears that the, the rich are famous, and, and we all know rich people, right? The rich are famous. And it seems that their fame should eliminate fear. 
Every famous person who has ever lived or who will ever live will die. Apart from God's intervention, of course. Fear to all is the theme here. So how do we live? Maybe it's friendship, right? If you have enough friends, you see that in verse 13. Having friends and the approval of men will maybe remove fear, right? If I just accumulate a lot of friendships. Some people seem to have a bunch of friends and are confident because people stroke them and tell them that they're great and tell them what you want to hear. It's like, oh, yeah, that will remove fear. Well, I read a story um, about a football player back in 2012. His name is Pac-Man Jones. Anybody familiar with Pac- the story of Pac-Man Jones? Pac-Man Jones, uh, one night, spent $1 million in a weekend to buy his friendships. A million bucks. A million bucks. But you know what happened? He eventually lost those friends, and he lost his money. Having friends is wonderful, but it's not going to remove the reality of our fears. And this section ends with the fact that the rich are destined to death like absolutely everyone else. And their, their wealth, their houses, their, their fame, their friends will not allow them to avoid that inevitable end. Everybody is going to meet that same end. They are like sheep being led to the grave. This is kind of the, the opposite of the Lord is my shepherd shall not want. This one is saying, did, did, did you pick that up? That they are ultimately being shepherded to the grave. Death, the grim reaper, is their, their shepherd. And they will, they will end up in the grave with no place to dwell. So ultimately, their solutions to all the things in this life was not helpful. So I'm glad that this psalm did not end with verse 14. Because if it ended with verse 14, it's like, I'm not coming back to church again. I need some hope today. So this leads us to the third one. The third point is, how do we overcome fear? We overcome fear by understanding but God. That phrase, but God. Verse 15 of this psalm is one of the greatest verses of of the Old Testament, and it is well supported throughout all of the New Testament. It begins with one of the the greatest two-word phrases of the entire Bible in these words, but God. Listen to these truths of this verse. The theology of but and the story of the Bible, the whole theme of this psalm will now change with the, the but God. It is true that there is much in this world to fear. There's a lot to fear, a lot of anxiety, things to be anxious about. The best we can do apart from God will never mean that we can avoid the inevitable because we are all going to die. But the beauty of the Bible is these words, but God. God has a way of intervening in the midst of our fear, in the midst of our anxiety, in the midst of our depression. God has a way of jumping into the narrative. Listen to Genesis chapter 50. But as for you, you meant evil against me. Who's who's speaking here? Anybody? Joseph. Joseph talking to his brothers after being sold into slavery. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it 
for good. To save, uh, to save many people. To, to save many people. Can you imagine that? But, but God meant this. He orchestrated this for good. Or what about Acts chapter 13? They laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Or, or Romans 5. But God shows us his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Or what about in 1 Corinthians 1? Not many are noble, are called, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Or Ephesians 2. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God... Being rich in his mercy, this theme of, but God, he changes the narrative. He changes the story. The big picture of the Bible is a glorious picture of, but God. God created the universe. And the commentary from the infinite creator was that this is good. That lasted how many chapters? Two. Two chapters. Then sin came into the world. With sin and the fall of mankind came death, which is the ultimate source of our fear. And this is the second chapter of the story of the Bible. Sin infiltrates the pages of the Bible, and it is the plight of every man, woman, and child. All of you have been infiltrated by sin. But the reality of the biblical story is the big but God of the Bible. But God is redeeming his world. God produced a way that we can have peace with God, that we can abolish fear, that we can deal with our anxiety, that we can live in harmony with God. Redemption is the beauty of deliverance, the deliverance of creation from its greatest foe, death. And this ultimately happens in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Apart from but God, we would have no hope. You would have no hope. He radically changes the whole story, the whole picture of the story. And the final chapter is yet to be written, but it is the conclusion of the but God reality. He finishes his word. He restores the new creation and the new heavens and the new earth. And he puts death to death. That is the day of great hope for all who are redeemed and are in Christ Jesus. Fear will be conquered as the source of fear. Death is finally defeated. And the life of, a life of fear focuses on the reality of the fall, while a life free from fear, hear this, a life free from fear focuses on the glory of redemption. It takes our eyes off of our temporal and places our eyes on Christ, the author, the perfecter, our redeemer, the one who said, you've got it because I did it. So the words of Psalm 14, 15 are absolutely fantastic. Look at the way the psalmist describes redemption, would you? He says two things. God will ransom my soul from Sheol, and he will receive me. Those are like guarantee statements. This sounds wonderfully like what even Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection, in his ascension, and ultimately in his return. 
He has paid the price for our sins, and he has defeated Satan, sin, and death. But that is not all. Not only has he redeemed my soul, and he, has, he will receive me, he also receives us to himself. We are his children. The greatest fear factor in this world is death, and there is only one who can pay the ransom for our death, and that is God himself. Even hundreds of years before Jesus came, the psalmist saw it out there that the only way to conquer fear is through the atoning work of God. Who will defeat the greatest foe of death? And he did that in Jesus. Now this word sheol is a Hebrew word. And it's an awkward word because it's not in our lexicon. It's not words that you use frequently. It's been translated as grave. It's been translated as death. It's been translated as hell. And if you can't determine how to translate it, just bring it over from the Hebrew and say Sheol and feel really educated. It is probably considered a place, but the main point of Sheol is not location. The main point is being alone being separated from anyone, as in death, and particularly being separated from the life source itself, which is who? It's God. It's Jesus, his work. And as bad as it may be today, or as bad as a person may be in this life, we are all connected to God in one shape or or another. All of us, all humanity. That's why it goes back to verse 1. Hear all people. Listen everybody. I don't care if you are wise or unwise, if you are rich or poor. This is for all people in the world. And he is saying, listen, you are all connected to God in one way or another. The thing to really fear is death and separation that is complete and that is eternal. I was mowing lawn yesterday, and as much as I hate mowing our, like, feels like a 15-acre lawn, it gives me a lot of alone time in my head, which can be good or bad. Um, but one of the thoughts I was having was, how do we communicate this to our, our children? Because we live in a culture of just love everybody. Man, just love them. You be you, right? You be you, man. I don't care. You be you. And we just accept whatever. The reality is, how do we communicate to our kids that, that, that there is a, a reality here? There is a death. And there is a separation. And there is that separation could be eternally wonderful and glorious with Jesus Christ. Or it can be complete and eternal apart from Christ. And these are their friends that they say, you be you. But it's not true for just them, my friends. It is true for all of us. We have friends and we have neighbors. We have family members that we love. And we just say the you be you. And we're really casual about this complete and final death. How can we just say, hey, you be you on your way to hell? My friends. This is wisdom literature and something that we need to learn and understand. 
The reality is God's redemption is glorious. It's perfect. It's complete. We will never see sorrow or fear. But there is the other side. My friends, we need to also, like I talked about last week, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. We need to constantly be preaching this. Why are you so downcast, oh my soul? Hope in God. Hope in God. Preach that truth. And this verse is, is the antidote for fear. You may be in a place where you are afraid to go to work, afraid to go to the doctor, afraid to go home, or afraid of the unknown, so on and so forth, whatever your fear is. You must believe that Jesus actually died. He, was, he actually rose again, and he is actually coming again for you. And that reality, the one who has conquered Satan, sin, and death, that reality will put your fears in their proper place. That is not to say that you'll completely understand fear. I have tons that I fear about, and I've got to constantly preach myself. The way to deal with fear is to tell yourself the truth. And it goes back to the beginning. Listen. Listen, God is my redeemer. He has redeemed my soul. I don't need to be afraid. In conclusion, this, this chapter ends with an imperative affirmation. Verse 16 says, be not afraid. And the reason that we should not be afraid is because of the but God. The psalmist reinforces the destinies who, who, who tried to overcome fear apart from God. He carries nothing away. There are no trailers behind their hearses that they are ultimately going to be able to take into eternity. All their destinies are going the way of all the other gen generations that have gone before them straight to the grave. But the last verse repeats verse 12 with one notable exception. Man in his pomp is like the beast that perishes. That, that's the repeat. But there's an addition in there. The addition is without understanding. The psalmist is calling the people to heed wisdom, to gain understanding, to listen to their God. And find in that listening and understanding and heeding to find the resolution to fear outside of themselves and in the beauty of the God who redeems souls. So how do we apply this? Get help with fear. Hear all you people. Be quick to hear, slow to speak. If you struggle with fear, and we all do in some way, get into the word, and if necessary, get help from other believers. And also, I want to say this, some of us need to see professionals. We need to see professionals who can help walk through the dark and murky. Maybe some of us need to actually memorize scripture Psalm 49, 15 and 16. Stop talking to yourself about all the reasons of your fear. Remind yourself of God's word. We should also look at the, 
how, how do we apply this? We should also remind ourselves frequently of the hollowness of what this world is trying to get us to believe. Those are all trappings. Fame is not going to remove my fear. A house is not going to remove my fear. Uh, friendships aren't going to remove my fear. All these things are not going to remove. Education is not going to remove your fear. All those things are not going to cause me to be fearless. Here's a beautiful... We started off with the sons of Korah. They watched the ground open up and their father and his followings swallowed up. That's a scary story. And these guys are writing about fear. Verse, in verse 41 uh, of that chapter, the congregation complained to Moses on the very next day. They just watched the ground open up. And the congregation, again, the next day come back, came back and complained. Terrifying. And it's just a reminder that we quickly forget, isn't it? God was angry. And in that chapter, God threatened to kill them all. Moses told Aaron to get in between God and the people and make atonement for them. Make atonement for them. It says that he put on the incense and made atonement for the people, and he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague ultimately stopped. 14,700 people died in this incident, but a ransom was paid. Jesus is the one who stands between the wrath of God and our souls. And we can stand in him safe and secure for he is truly our antidote for fear. My friends, this is the word of the Lord and he has spoken to us this morning through his word. Take heed. Listen. Apply it to your heart and be doers of his word. Let's pray.